This program was first broadcast on Canterbury's access media station, Plains FM, and was made with the assistance of New Zealand On Air. Hi and welcome to the Alcoholics Anonymous radio show here on Plains FM 96.9. My name's Martine and I'm an alcoholic. The purpose of the show is to increase public awareness of Alcoholics Anonymous as an effective means of recovery from the disease of alcoholism. Our show has two parts. First, we talk a bit about alcoholism, what it is and what AA can do to help. And then we'll interview a recovering alcoholic who is an active member of AA. I'm now going to ask our guests to read the AA preamble, which is read at the start of every AA meeting. The AA preamble. Alcoholics Anonymous is a fellowship of men and women who share their experience, strength and hope with each other that they may solve their common problem and help others to recover from alcoholism. The only requirement for membership is a desire to stop drinking, that on our dues or fees for AA membership, we are self-supporting through our own contributions. AA is not allied with any sect, denomination, politics, organisation or institution, does not wish to engage in any controversy, neither endorses nor opposes any causes. Our primary purpose is to stay sober and help other alcoholics to achieve sobriety. So what is alcoholism? Alcoholism is a disease, not a disgrace. There's no shame in having an illness or a disease. An unusual feature of the disease is that it will do whatever it can to convince you that you do not have it. However, once it gets a hold of you, the progression of symptoms is like the classic disease model and the victim is as helpless as a sufferer of cancer. If you're an alcoholic, you're at the beginning of a long road that usually ends in one of three places prisons, institutions or death. If you think that sounds dramatic, we can assure you that our collective experience has shown this to be true. The challenge is to convince the alcoholic to admit that they need help and become willing to seek it. Denial is a major symptom of alcoholism. The alcoholic is often the last one to recognise it and admit that they have it. Our definition of alcoholism is that it's an allergy of the body coupled with an obsession of the mind. The allergy is the physical aspect of the disease. After having the first drink, the phenomenon of craving develops and we lose control over when we will stop drinking. The old saying is one is too many and a thousand is never enough. And yet because of the obsession of the mind, the mental aspect of the disease, the alcoholic is compelled to keep picking up the first drink. This makes us powerless. We often hear from sober alcoholics that many doubted whether life could be fun without alcohol. Fortunately, those same people report that their lives have improved dramatically since they became sober. The 12-step program of recovery, which is discussed at meetings and which is outlined in the Alcoholics Anonymous Big Book, is how we get sober and maintain our sobriety one day at a time. The program has a proven track record of helping otherwise hopeless alcoholics to achieve long-term sobriety and recovery. It has taught us how to enjoy life sober. 
Okay, for anyone who's just joined us, you're listening to the Alcoholics Anonymous radio show here on Plains FM 96.9. We're just about to interview an AA member who is going to share their experience with alcoholism. So let's meet our guest. Hi, I wonder if you would like to just introduce yourself and give us a quick sketch of who you are. Hi, my name is Linda and uh, I'm an alcoholic. Um, I uh, live in North Canterbury and um, I still work um, in that area. I've been uh, in recovery now for nine years and uh, prior to that had a quite a long and interesting career um, as an active alcoholic. Lovely. So where are you from? Did you grow up here? Could you tell us a bit about your childhood? Yeah, sure. Um, I, my, my family um, emigrated to New Zealand uh, in 1964, um, having grown up I, in the UK, in the north of England. Um, I s- sort of, from the beginning, I s- thought that I was always a little bit different to uh, my peers um, you know, it was uh, a big culture uh, change as well when we came to New Zealand, and I made friends fairly quickly, um, but also, um, you know, really enjoyed the, um, the the youth party scene as well. And um, as I grew older, I, um, I started to enjoy alcohol, probably in a way, um, you know, that was probably not as healthy as it could have been. Um, in fact, over a period of time, I developed something of an obsession uh, with the stuff. And as my friends grew older, grew, you know, went to uni or whatever it might have been and got married and settled down, I was still hankering after, you know, the um, that buzz that alcohol could give me. And um, it started to affect my life. Right. So can you tell us about your first drink and, and how your drinking progressed? Mm. That's interesting. I think that my first drink really was probably port and lemonade one Christmas in the UK. I was about eight or nine years old, I suppose, and uh, it was a bit of a treat sort of thing, you know. But I was at, I was overwhelmed with the great buzz that I got from the stuff, you know. It was, it was yeah, it was just port and lemonade, but... You know, even so, I I felt that lovely warm glow inside that, uh, you know, we often experience. And, um, yeah, it it sort of, my fascination with this stuff grew from then. I I always remember walking past the pubs in the UK um, as a younger person. And, um, you know, just the atmosphere that was coming from the inside, I could almost feel it, you know, and the the smell of stale beer actually was quite nice to smell. (laughs) (laughs) You're painting a very attractive picture. (laughs) So could you tell us about how you drank? And I guess... How did you start drinking, and how did how did your drinking progress? Um, I I I drank to get drunk, basically. I you know there was in the early days. I just um, I didn't drink for any sort of pleasure apart from the fact of getting quite wasted. Um, the other thing was that I I grew up uh, as I developed. I I grew up with very very low self esteem. You know it, when I when I drank suddenly you know I was fearless and. Yeah. You know, it gave me a lot of confidence to talk to people that normally I wouldn't have been. You know, it made me very outgoing. Um, where prior to that, I would have been probably, you know, a little bit more 
back when coming forward. Right. So yeah, alcohol had quite an effect on, on me in that way. And of course, I, I I got a reputation as being a real sort of fun person, <laughs> somebody who would do ridiculous, blooming things. Yeah. In fact, I when I look back now on my life, even as a young a youngster. Um, uh, I'd always be out there doing stupid things, and you know, my behaviour was probably typical of a somebody who was uh, an ad- had an addictive personality very young. Yeah, sure. So, did you ever feel when you were younger that it was a problem, and did you try and stop? Um, no, not. I, I suppose it depends what you mean when you say younger. Um, I'd, when I got into my 30s and 40s, well, certainly my 30s, I started to realize I had a problem. Yeah. You know, prior to that, it was just, I was just following the, the herd, really. And um, it was then when I had my first attempts to uh, try and curb or control my drinking. You know, I, to some extent, I was reasonably successful. I, I, you know, I could stop for a wee while, but something always got me back on the on the train again and away I go but I knew deep down inside myself that I had a, a, a problem with alcohol and you know as we say it's a it, it's a disease of great denial mm. and um, al- although I didn't want to, you know I didn't even want to think that I was an alcoholic you know goodness gracious you know that's where all the alkies go they go to AA all the alkies <laughs> go to AA you know and it's oh god it's awful yeah, that was sort of the way it was for me, you know. And as the years went by, you know, my disease just got progressively more invasive on my life. Yeah. So at what point did you realise that you needed help? <laughs> a long time. <laughs> After a long time of drinking, I had a drinking career that spanned about 40 to 45 years. Right. And... Um, I'd, I'd, I'd had one uh, drink-driving conviction. Um, I was living on my own at that stage. Uh, it was on my second time when I was caught that I honestly, truly still don't know to this day what was going on in my head because when the police took me home, I was still, I was still pretty tipsy, you know, I was still pretty drunk. And at that point, I, I picked up the phone, basically. Right. And that was it. Yeah, maybe it was that sort of awakening inside of me. I I think that basically I'd made a decision that I wanted to live instead of die. Yeah, sure. So you had your second or you got pulled over again for Mm. a drunk driving thing. Leading up to that, what what was sort of happening? Had you lost any jobs? What were your relationships with your friends and family like? Strangely enough, uh, work, I've always worked for myself. Um, in fact, I started in business. We started in business in 1975, and um, believe it or not, I was, we were actually reasonably successful. Um, that was mainly due to my other half, and, and uh, as well, you know, with you know, he was a great business manager. But I, 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 I don't know. I, I think it mainly affected my family. It affected my. Um, I mean, I would come home. At night, sometimes at seven o'clock, I'd be, I'd would have been doing some office work or something like that. Perhaps I'd come home at seven o'clock and I'd rant and rave and carry on. It was it was just a terrible way to be, mm. you know. And um, it's a it's it's a funny thing. I uh, 
you know, yeah, I just didn't realize what was going on until I sort of got on further in the fellowship and um, started going through the steps right. of recovery that these things started to sort of hit home pretty right. well. And how would you describe your rock bottom? My rock bottom was a mattress compared to some people's. Right. You know, um, I think we all have a different rock bottom. It, it can be anything. It can be emotional. It can be physical. It could be anything, you know. But my rock bottom was was just the realization that I was going to die, and I was going to die in not a very nice way. Yeah. You see, I was carrying an awful lot of grief. I I lost the love of my life um, in 2007, and that's when my disease really kicked in. Right. Big time. I mean, I'd been an alcoholic a long time before that. Yeah. But at that point, the whole world just spiraled completely out of control. Right. And stayed like that for four years. And I wanted to die. I just wanted to die. But no, I, I thought, no, it's not the way. So how did you actually find your way to your first AA meeting and what was it like? I, I rang the call centre um, the night the police took me home and um, the next day I had somebody come to see me and they were sitting in, in my lounge. I was pouring my heart out to them. And um, they wanted me to go to a meeting that night and they invited me to go and... I, I said, no, I don't really want to go to an AA meeting. Mm. And after a while, they uh, they, they said their goodbyes and, and left. And the next morning, this that was on a, on a Monday morning. I'd been taken home on the Sunday by the police. And on the Tuesday, they rang me up and said, look, there's a meeting today. Um, would you like to go? And I said, no, I don't want to go. I don't want to go to a meeting. Why? Why didn't you want to go? Because I just didn't want to go. I just... <laughs> It was a mixture of fear, uncertainty, the great unknown. Yeah, you know, it's it's like anything. You know, you, you know, we say to the newcomer often, um, you know, how brave they are for actually walking through yes. the door. Yes. Well, we've all been there. We all know about that. And <laughs> it was like that with me. I just didn't want to go into anything that I knew nothing about. So that was the end of that. And then they rang me again on Wednesday morning and I thought to myself, <laughs> this person is not going to go away. <laughs> For some reason or other, they, I had to be at, go to a meeting. For some reason or other, I had to go to a meeting. And so I gave in and I said, yep, okay, I'll go. And all the way there, they picked me up and all the way there, I was asking questions and I was terrified. I didn't know anybody. And I always remember the... At the, this was on we, uh, uh, the Wednesday lunchtime meeting and I was asked if I wanted to say anything and I said, well, mm, maybe, I think maybe I might be an alcoholic and I've been sober for three days and I looked at my watch <laughs> and 12 hours. Right. <laughs> and they all laughed and I felt a lot better. Cool. So what did you think uh, the other AA members were like and how did they treat you? Warmly. They treated me warmly. They understood. Yeah. I didn't think anybody would. And I always remember a time when I tried to explain to my own brother 
what my life was like and how stressful it was and how awful it was. And I always remember I had my fists clenched and I was jumping up and down and shouting at him, you don't understand. Well, suddenly I was surrounded by people that did. And that made all the difference. Yeah. You know, it's pointless talking about your problems um, with um, addiction to people who know nothing about it. Yeah. And, you know, for me, for the first time, I was able to communicate my feelings and, and, and what was happening to me in a way that I'd never been able to do before because I found a receptive audience. And then as I listened to their stories and what they were sharing with me, I was seeing myself coming back at me. Yeah. And it helped me. To, for the first time in my life to actually un start to understand the disease that had been destroying me for years. Yeah. And that was important to me because although I was an expert at drinking, I knew nothing about it. Yeah. Well, I started to find out about it. And, and that was a wonderful thing because, you know, I've always sort of, I, I've, I've talked to people who are extremely well educated and far more intelligent than I'll ever be. And they've tried to think the way through this thing. Yeah. You can't do that. No. You can't think your way through it. But I think that for me, part of my recovery was starting to understand it, that it's a progressive illness. It always gets worse. It never gets better. I've never met anybody yet that we got to the end of a drinking career and said that they were drinking less. Mm. Yeah. You know? And, um, yeah. Make no bones about it. I mean, this this disease will kill us. It will destroy us completely. Yeah. And that's what it wants to do. So how would you describe to people how you've managed to stay sober? Coming into the AA Fellowship was the last roll of the dice for me. I, um, I tried everything that you could possibly think of to get out of this thing, to, 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 to stop drinking, to try and live a normal life, to drink normally. Yeah. So what sort of things did you try? Oh, everything that we read about in, in Chapter 3. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> I did all of that, you know, changing the type, types of drink. You know, that was a good one. I, I tried abstinence. Uh, I, I was once sober, actually, for nearly three years and uh, completely just, you know, um, on my own uh, thing. You know, I, I just... And I, I was... The only difference between me before and me after was the fact that I was not drinking. Right. You know, I was, my head was still, you know, going around in circles. Now, still as nutty as a fruitcake. Because lots of people say that when they, um, if they get sober outside of AA, they just go crazy. Yeah. That dry drunkenness is really awful. Yeah, well, you know, I just, everything was overboard. Everything was over the top, you know. Um, and... Um, I I don't know. I'm to some extent. I mean, it was good. It was good for my family because you know I wasn't drinking and I wasn't sort of you know yahooing or you know destroying it you know or parties and that kind of thing. But in a way, I was anyway. Right. You know, just my actions and the way I was. You know, I was just too sober. If you know what I mean. Right. You know, it was just ridiculous. So, how do you cope with difficulties now? I handed over to, you know, a higher power. Mm -hmm. I, um, 
I have a lot of acceptance in my life. You know, I have no control um, over things that I used to think that I had control over, people, places, things, as we right. say. Yeah. And today I realize that I haven't, and um, I need to let things just work their way through. And how would you describe your life today? Brilliant, wonderful. Um, I have a wonderful life today, a life that I never, ever thought that I would ever have. You know, for the first time in a long, long time, I'm actually happy. Right. I was sad and unhappy for a long time. And today I'm at peace. I'm happy. And I have a lot of serenity in my life. Right. And I can accept, you know, the world's still going round and, and life can still be, be shit. Yeah. But I can sort of accept life on life's terms, which I could never do before. I have spent my whole life raging against the machine of life. Yeah. And, um, you know, when I joined, uh, you know, the fellowship and learned that you better to actually swim, swim with the current than try and swim against it. Yeah. You know, I was going through the throes of, of life where, you know, my disease was saying to me, look, you know, you can fill the emptiness by just grabbing that bottle over there. That'll fill you up. Well, no, it didn't. And it just stripped all the life out of me. Yeah. Um, which I realized, of course, was um, it was stripping um, the spirituality out of me as well. Um, the connection I had with my higher power or the God of my understanding, and um, I do, I, for me personally, I do have a belief in God, um, was it actually created a barrier between me and that spirituality. So I was on one side of the fence and my spiritual needs and my spiritual being was on the other side. Right. Um, and I started to recover that as I got into sobriety. When I, when I became sober, you know, it didn't happen straight away. But within some months and then certainly after a, a year or so, I started to discover that. I actually hadn't considered the spiritual part of the program or the spirituality of it for quite a long time being in the fellowship. Yeah. And um, I started to come to terms with that after about a year or two and realized, you know, that I needed to go out there and find me because the real me would been lost. Yeah. And, uh, yeah. So what would you suggest for any listeners who are, who are out there and they think they may have a, um, a drinking problem? Do you have any advice or questions that you'd suggest they ask themselves? Well, I think that you've got to really look at your life uh, as in a, you know, st take a step sideways, look at your life in the big picture of things. You know, uh, is your life and uh, are your activities, your drinking, is it affecting those close to you? Um, family, friends, um, you know, have you lost jobs? Have you lost, um, you know, have you fallen out with, with family? Um, you know, y you need to look at your part in these things, not blaming everybody else. Yeah. Um, it's no good standing there and saying it's not my fault because nine times out of ten, the, a person has always got some part to play in any disagreement or or, or upset. And I would say that if, if you really think that your drinking is affecting you in such a way that um, you need to get on the on the phone quick and 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 call the call, call center and have a chat with somebody. Like I've said before, AA was the last last shot of the dice for me. It's the only thing I ever tried in my life that kept me sober for any length of time. Right, great. 
Linda, thanks so much for coming on the show and sharing your story with us. Thank you for asking me. For our listeners, if you've related to anything you've heard or would like some more information about Alcoholics Anonymous, you can look us up on the web at www.aa.org.nz or call us on 0800 AA Works. There are over 60 meetings a week in Canterbury, so it's likely there's one near you. Join us next week to hear more from AA members sharing their experiences. Our show airs every Monday at 5.30 on Plains FM and repeats on Wednesday at 12.30pm. You can find podcasts of our past show on the Plains FM website at plainsfm.org.nz or you can download, subscribe and listen to podcasts on iTunes and Spotify. That brings us to the end of the show. Thank you for listening and remember, if you want to drink, that's your business. If you want to stop, we can help and you don't have to do it alone. We will now close the show with a serenity prayer as we do in every AA meeting. God, grant me the serenity to accept the things I cannot change, courage to change the things I can, and the wisdom to know the difference. You've been listening to the Alcox Anonymous radio show on Plains FM 96.9.